0: Just simply have to read Matthew five through seven now that sounds great until you start reading it, and then you read it and you 're like that looks really good, but then when you start trying to apply it to your life, well, it gets a little more difficult and it 's kind of tough. Um, I, I told the first service today that you know there 's been there 's a lot of spring football practices or football games that are going on. you know Carolina had theirs what last week or the week before is on ESPN. And so a lot of fans go out we like to we like to watch those things hoping that we can and I'm a Carolina fan obviously but hoping that we can forget you know like the previous two seasons and so we're all excited about what what the possibilities are in the future. Now whenever you watch teams play doesn't matter if it's at, at Death Valley or at Carolina or wherever it might be anytime the team comes onto the field and it's the offense one thing they always do is they get together in a huddle. Now, when they get together in a huddle, what they're doing in the huddle is they are preparing for the next play. I mean, they're talking about what the play is going to be so they can execute it. And huddles are good things. Now, they what you have like, what, 25, 30 seconds in a huddle, and then it's time for you to break the huddle and go out and play. And and they do the huddle because in the huddle, the quarterback is going to be talking about figuring out what he's going to be doing with the ball. The running back knows where he's supposed to run. The receivers know what routes they're supposed to run. So a huddle is important, and all the fans know that, and we put up with the huddle. But let me tell you something. When you, when 80,000-plus fans gather together at Williams-Brice, they are not going there to watch a team in a huddle. I mean, if you can you imagine what that would be like? If they just stayed in the huddle the entire game? Now, probably, last year anyway, we might have won more games or they'd have been closer had we done that the entire game. But fans do not go to the game to watch a huddle. They go to the game to watch them huddle and then hopefully drive the ball down the field so they can score a touchdown. All right, now where's all this going? It's actually going somewhere. Because here's what I believe. I believe that many times as a church, many times as Christians, what we do is we like to huddle. You know, we like to get together. We like to talk about what we're going to do. And we like to just sort of share information amongst ourselves. But then we never run the place. And now our big huddle meeting as believers, in a sense, it's, it's Sunday mornings. It's Sunday mornings whenever we get together for V groups. But the purpose, the way you measure the power of a church is not by how great their huddles are, It's by how well they play the game. And so today what we're doing as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount is we're going to see Jesus talking about believers breaking the huddle. Talking about us getting out and beginning to use our faith to live out our faith so that we can make an impact in the world where we live. And so that's why today we're going to be looking at Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16 and I believe as we look at these verses, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus sharing with believers, with the church, how we can live in such a way that our lives actually matter and make a difference. And so I want you to look with me in that passage of Scripture in just a few moments. But in this, in this passage, what we see Jesus doing is giving us very specific instructions on how to live out our faith. On how to make a difference in the way that we live. Now, now I truly believe this. If we lived out the teachings of Jesus, it will be a different world. If we live out what Jesus teaches us, we will never step back and wonder, man, I wonder if my faith really makes a difference. Because you're going to see that when you do what Jesus says, man, it absolutely transforms everything. And so in our message today, very simply, all that I want us to do is just simply look into our passage of Scripture and see how Jesus says that followers of Him can be effective, how we can break the huddle effectively. So, so how can we be effective as believers? Well, that's what we're going to see in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And the very beginning, here's what Jesus says. He says if we're going to be effective and it's, it's as churches, as Christians, He says it begins with this. You be effective by adding salt in the world where you live. And that's what verse number 13 tells us. Jesus speaking here. And he's speaking to disciples, to followers of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. He said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Now if you ask me, this is, sort of, this is kind of a strange instruction. I mean, can you imagine, just act like you're in the huddle. You're sitting there, and the quarterback, who happens to be Jesus, tells you. He says, all right, here's the play. This is what you're going to do. You are going to be salt. All it's right, great. break. Okay, that sounds good. I don't know what that means. Yeah, you know, I'm supposed to be salt? What, what does that mean? Now, I think a way that we can answer the question is just to think about what salt is, what salt does. Okay, now this is where you all get to participate. And my wife says, "My hearing is not any good i've only said she just mumbles, but apparently everybody does okay so so salt, what are some things that salt does okay, flavor I heard that it adds flavor if you 've ever eaten at enough rubber chicken dinners, you know one thing that you do is you grab the salt and you just like you just start dumping it on the chicken. Now you do that because it Somehow, it just brings the flavor out of that chicken or whatever. You know, so that's what salt does. It brings out flavor. Okay, so now what else does salt do? What's another use for salt? Preservative. Man, you must be good in science. Yeah, salt, that's what it does. Salt preserves. Now, in Jesus' day, they did not have refrigerators or, if you're old-fashioned, ice boxes. They didn't have that. And so if they were going to preserve food, they used salt. Now here's something that's really neat. When Jesus is teaching here, Jesus is teaching this message right on the Sea of Galilee. This past year, some of us from church, we were there. We, we get to brag about it. We know what it looks like. And so it's right there on the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee was a commercial, it was a commercial fishery. And so as Jesus is teaching, you know, they had to preserve the fish. And so what they do is they'd, they'd lay out their catch, they'd put the catch down on the ground, they'd lay out on crates, and then they would, they would salt down the fish. And they'd put another layer of fish on top of that, and they would salt down those fish. And they would do that to preserve the fish. Okay, so what else does salt do? It makes you thirsty. Right? Now, that's why when, when you go to a movie theater... And they make the popcorn as salty as possible so that you will buy a $25 Coke and you don't care because your mouth is absolutely shriveled up and your tongue's like that big. Okay, now that, that's what salt does. Salt makes you thirsty. So when Jesus is telling us that we are to be the salt, he's referring to what salt does. What does salt do? Salt adds flavor. Seeing as believers, a part of our life, a part of our job is to live and to follow what Jesus teaches. Because he teaches the right way to live. And we add flavor to a community, to a world that is very selfish. says you add flavor to it when you live for others. Uh, One thing that Jesus says when he says that we are to be salt, we are preservative. You know, this world is rotting in sin. And it does not take long to figure it out. But as believers, as we live according to the truth of Jesus We show people how their lives can be preserved through the power of God in a relationship with Him. Also, as we live, we're to be like Saul in that we are to live in such a way, an honorable way, a caring way, that we make people thirsty for God. Where people can look at us and they can look at our church and say, there's something different about them. I would like to know what they have. Where they become thirsty for God. That's what we're told in, in 2 Corinthians 9.2 as an example. It says, For I know your eagerness, and I brag about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now what this is referring to is the church in Macedonia saw a group of believers that were in need, and they said, we're going to care for those people. We're going to take care of them. We're going we're to share our, our needs with them or share our blessings with them. And the, church in Ma- and the church in Corinth heard about it and said, we want to sign up too. That sounds cool." Now that was an example of one church inspiring another church being salt to another church to where they were motivated to serve as well. And yeah, that, that, is, that is what we are to do as a church, as believers, to be a seasoning in this world. I and mean, so we said, "How do we do that?" You know, how, how does village church? How do you as individual believers act as salt in this world? And I think it's fairly simple. We, we flavor the area where we live. You know, whenever you see people that you know and that you love and care about who need prayer, you know how you can be a salt for them? You pray for them. You lift them up to the Lord. You care for them. You, another way that you are salt is you look and you, you read and you study what God's Word says. And you say, you know what, I'm going to live this out. Because I know as I live out what Jesus says that it will impact the people around me. We live lives that are honorable, that are true. See, our, our world already has an overdose of corruption. But what the world needs to see today, what our community needs to see, is people of God who live above board. Who live in a different way. Who live to honor God. You know, silver is a obviously it is a valuable and precious metal but whenever it is mined for it to become valuable one thing that you have to do is you have to burn out the impurities of the silver now silver has a very high uh, melting point it's like 2200 degrees but what's interesting is as you, as you burn out the impurities, then you're able to make precious things with that silver. But if you leave the impurities in the silver, if you never refine the silver, you know what silver's worth? Nothing. Now, now here's what I believe. I believe that the world is trying to do whatever it can to keep the impurities inside of the church Inside of the lives of believers, because whenever we are hanging on to the impurities in our own lives, then what happens is that we don't carry any value in the world in which we are living. And so the Lord is saying, listen, I want you to be salt, but for you to be salt, you have to be refined you have to stand by what god's word says because if you don't then you're not going to make a difference and guys if we are not living according to what god's word says then we are like salt that has lost its saltiness what good if you have salt but it doesn't flavor it doesn't preserve and it doesn't make you thirsty is that worth anything Hey, hand me some salt, and you pour it on there, and you're like, it, does, it doesn't add any flavor whatsoever. It's useless. And in a very real sense, that is what it's like for us as believers. If we are not adding flavor to this world, what happens is we just we don't add anything. Jesus says, "You want to add something to this world?" He said, "Then you must be salt." What, what do we have? What do we have to offer? You know, we have we have a lot of stuff to offer as believers. We can offer people the name of Jesus who gives eternal life. We can offer people the name of Jesus who provides forgiveness, who provides hope for life. And we have the power of God at our disposal as a church. You know that there's power in the church because God is the one who gives us the power and the fuel. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not overcome the church. But if we lose sight of our purpose, which is to be a seasoning in this world, then guys, we lose our effectiveness. So, how do we be effective? Jesus said, be salt. How, how do we become effective Well, Jesus says another thing is that we are to be exposed. Now, now what does that mean? I want you to look with me in verses 14 and 15. Jesus, again, he says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. Okay, it's real simple what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is telling us, he's telling the church, you are to be a light. Okay, now what is the purpose of a light? It's to shine, right? And you want to put it in a place where it shines brightly. That's why Jesus said, he said, you are a light. You put it on a lampstand. Now, if you want everybody in your house to see, have y'all noticed that when you walk into your house, or even in here, have y'all noticed the lights are up there? They're not down here. They're up there so that they can shine and illuminate the whole room. So you, we want to be a light that's going to shine so that everybody can see. You know, let's say, let's say that you're, you're in a dark cave. Y'all, I'm so imaginative and creative. All right. So see, everybody shut your eyes. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Uh, cause if you do, I ain't ever getting you back. I uh, said, so I act like you're in a, you're in a dark cave and you're with your family and you can't see anything, but you happen to have a flashlight with you what are you going to do with that light? Are, are you going to just simply shine it like so that nobody else can see and say, hey, my wife and the kids are on their own. I'm getting out of here. Now, now if you're a good guy, and especially if, if there's bats in that cave too, because bats freak me out. If you have that light, I am shining that light everywhere because I want everybody to get out and I want to get away from the bats. that, That is the purpose of a light. The purpose of a light is to shine. Now, as a church, we have a calling from God to be a light in this world. Because in this world, we live in darkness. And as believers, as we have a pathway to Jesus who offers life, then we want to shine the light so that people can see the path that leads to Jesus who provides life. Now, if we don't do that, then people will be lost. And people won't know the Jesus who can be their Savior. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so then here's the question. Are you shining? You know, are, are you are you shining? Are you are is your light down here where nobody else can see it, or is your light High to where it shines light, it illuminates the people that you are around so that they can find their way and their path to Jesus. If you look in verse 14, Jesus compared the church to being like a city that is situated on a hill. And this was very, Jesus says this because of where he's located. He's located, he's speaking by the Sea of Galilee. If you ever go up there, it's a very hilly region. It's where the Golan Heights are. It's where the mountains are. Y'all, when I talk about mountains, just when you go further north up into Israel, just across the border, there's 10,000 foot tall mountain, Mount Hermon. I mean, we're talking about mountains. And cities were built on the hill. And so whenever you're traveling at night, it's pretty easy to find the city because it's on a hill. And the lights would light up the city. So it, it wasn't hidden. People would look and say, oh, there's the city, I can see it, it's on the side of a hill. Jesus said, that is the church. Jesus said, that is that is my people who are Christians. They are to be like a city on a hill to where they are not hidden, but where people can look at them and say, oh, if we go there, then we're going to be okay. If we go there, then we're going to find this God that they talk about. Who are we as a church? We are a light. We are a city on a hill. Paul said we are ambassadors of Christ. He didn't say that, that the church is a city that's located only in Rhymer Pond Road, right here. You know, who the church, you know what the church is? The church is not a building. The church is you. So the church is me. So, so wherever you go is where the church is. When you go to the ball field with your kids you are the church you represent Jesus whenever you go to work you are the church you represent Jesus and you are to shine the light of Jesus wherever you are now how do we do that now I know that you all know that the, you know the moon does not create its own light it's not its own power source the moon is just simply it just simply reflects the light from the sun And that's who we are as believers. We are to allow the light of Jesus to reflect off of us. When you trust Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and then He works His way out in your life. So the question is, are you emanating Jesus? Are you allowing Him to reflect off of you? We're told in Daniel twelve three it says, Those who have insight, who have the light, they will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Yeah, you know, I really believe this. I believe that a direct correlation between the crumbling that we see in our society today is because we do not have enough believers who are allowing the light of Jesus to reflect off of their lives. And so what's happening is there's a lot of people walking in darkness. So when Jesus said, if you want your faith to be effective, said, you add salt. said, you be exposed. And this is the last thing. He says, and then you be bright. Shine brightly. Verse 16. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works... And here's the important part. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus promised that his followers, or told us that his followers need to be careful. He said, I want your light to shine brightly. He said, I want you to shine brightly, live good and honorable lives, point people to who Jesus is, but not so that you can receive the glory, but so that he will." And it's real easy. It's real. and when Jesus spoke this, you have to remember the religious leaders of the day were the Pharisees. I mean, these guys—they were—they were good. They had over six hundred rules and regulations that they followed. And you'd look at them and go, "Man, look at those guys. They never screw up." And these guys are always—they are just like good guys. Now, here's the deal. Now, that's good, except for they were living these kind of lives, these very strict lives, to bring glory to themselves. So that people would look at them and go, look how righteous they are. Man, I am not even close to that guy. Jesus said, you don't do that. Jesus said, you shine brightly, not so that you get attention, but so that God gets attention. So that people can look at your life and say, man, they are living that way because that's the power of God working in them. It's not on their own power. It's God's power. But anytime you begin to live for your own glory, let me tell you something. When you begin to live for your own glory, you are real close to getting in trouble. I promise you. Uh, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a lady that was playing a game at a convenience store called Tapper. I have no idea what that game is. So she's playing at a convenience store, and as she's playing it, she got on a roll. She was, for 14 consecutive hours... She didn't, her character did not die. We all know how important that is. So she's sitting there playing that game, and it, she's breaking the, she's, break, she's going to break the world record. And so she's playing, she starts up, you better get somebody here. This is a big deal. I'm winning, tapper. You know, like that's, woo. you know, big deal. Congratulations. So she's, she's sitting there, and they, they call the media. Charlotte Media comes out. They go to the gas station. And so they go there, and this lady's sitting there playing the game. Y'all start filming me. I'm getting ready to break the record. They come over there. They set up the lights. They set up the camera. They plug everything in. And as she's playing that game, all of a sudden the screen goes dark. What happened is as they were plugging in the lights, they unplugged the game that she was playing and stuck in another plug. Isn't that great? There's a lot of lessons to learn from that story. Uh, one of the lessons, man, don't play a game for 14 hours at a gas station. Okay, that's not good. The other lesson is this. Anytime you begin to promote and publicize yourself, there's a humbling that's right around the corner. Uh, James Dobson had a great statement. He said, anytime I start thinking too highly of myself, I remind myself of what the mother well said to the baby well, and that is every time you go to the top and you start blowing, that's when you get harpooned. Guys, that's what Jesus said. He said, when you shine, He said, you shine bright. You shine bright not for yourself. You shine bright for Jesus. As you shine bright for Jesus, it encourages other people and it inspires them to want to live for Jesus as they see the difference that it makes. We're told in Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Christians, our, our job is to shine bright. We want to shine brightly, not, not privately, but also publicly. Not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus. Because there are people all around us who are groping around in darkness who don't know the path that leads to life. The world needs to see. So what has Jesus called for us to do? He's called us to be effective. Effective. He hadn't called us to have a little club and just make each other feel good. He's called us to live to change the world. Do we, can we do it? Yeah. Jesus says, you're salt. Guys, we, we add flavor to this world. We're a preservative. We make people thirsty for the things of God. We're to be exposed. You know, we're not, we're not to hide our, our faith. And that's a very popular thing. Oh, it's just a private matter. No, it's not. Jesus says you're to be a light to the world to be exposed. And he says, And when you shine, you want to shine brightly. And let people see how in your life that God has changed and transformed you and given you hope beyond this life. Okay, so saying all of that, how do we respond? Well, we have to make a decision. Are we going to be a light in the world? And if you want to be a light in the world, then my encouragement for you and, and for me is just simply to talk to God and pray and say, Jesus I want to be a light in this world because this world is dark. And, Lord, you're the only hope for this world. Y'all, I am telling you right now, Jesus is the only hope for this world. Why don't you call out to him and promise to him that you're going to be a light? And maybe others of you, you need to get to know the source of the light. And it could be time for some of you today to just simply surrender yourself to Him and say, Jesus, today, I want to follow You. I want to serve You. I want to give myself to You because You are my only hope. I believe that You died for me and rose from the grave. And I'm asking You to save me.